Aren't we glad to be here this morning? <laughs> it's like being at home with sisters and brothers. Give us a foretaste of what it will be like one day. <laughs> the scripture reading this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 2 to 13. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and their Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. And when they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water from the well and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was the leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard the Israelites had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, Stone of Help saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan Showalter, and I'm uh, just very privileged and honored to be here with you this morning and to share some of my heart with you and some of what I believe God has laid on um, what God would have for us this morning. I know that for some of you, or Pastor Jeff has been walking you through a series on exile, and um, if you follow the liturgical calendar, this, this is the, kind of the end of the year, and you transition into a time of Advent. And so this is kind of the, a transition point. It's also a transition in looking forward into new things. Um, but it's also the week of Thanksgiving, and so there's kind of a lot that's mixed on our minds and our hearts this time. As we think about Thanksgiving, as we think about what lies ahead, but also in our world there's been a lot going on um, in the last couple of weeks. This morning I want to kind of focus in on the story of Samuel um, and this 
not only this past that before. I'm going to start off with a story. Yesterday, my wife and I went for a hike at Eaton Canyon. I don't know where many of you know where that is. It's not far uh, from Pasadena, Altadena. And it's about a four and a half mile hike up to a waterfall. And we walked up this canyon uh, to the waterfall. And we get there, and there's not much going on this time of year because of the drought. But there was a little trickle coming down over it. Um, and there was a little girl, there was a lot of people there just kind of hanging out by the pool. It's kind of a calm little pool and a little stream that trickles down from the waterfall at the base of the waterfall. And there was a little girl and her family that were there by the edge of the pool. And this little girl was about two years old. And she was kind of playing in, in near the water. And every time she would get near the water, her parents would kind of grab her and pull her back. And that wasn't very exciting to her. So she would wait till they would let go. And then she would go to the edge of the water. And they would grab her and pull her back. And this kind of went on for a little while. And eventually, her parents just picked her up, to which point she started to cry. And they put her back down. A few minutes later, they kind of let go of her hand, and they were distracted by something else. And I look over, and there she is, standing in the edge of the water in her brand new white sneakers with pink little flowers on them. Her parents were kind of disappointed. They walked over, and they picked her up back up out of the water. And any of you who have children know this kind of dance that you do, and you also know that there's a two, two and a half mile hike home. And how is a kid in wet sneakers going to do on that long hike home? But you know, I, I thought of this, this father and, or this family and their little daughter, and I thought of how many times do we fight for something that we want that's in front of us. And our parents may know what's best for us, but we fight for it anyway. And as we get older, we may grow up in size, but we don't always grow up inside. And we still want what we want. We still fight for the things that, that we want, that we think, that we know what's best. There was a Christian singer from a number of years ago called Rich Mullins. And he, he had this quote in one of his songs. He said, Surrender doesn't come natural to me. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than take what you give that I need. This is the story of our lives. It's a story of all that, that is in front of us. We're always fighting for something, that new pretty thing, that new thing, or maybe it's power, or maybe it's money, or maybe it's politics. We're all fighting for those things that are around us rather than coming to the place of surrender before God. Well, that's a bit of the story and the backdrop of what's going on in this context. If you have your Bibles open to 1 Samuel, and we're going to actually back up to kind of, I'm going to kind of skim through some of the first couple of chapters of 1 Samuel. In the first couple of chapters, we see Eli and his sons. And we see them as prophets and leaders of Israel of deaf to the voice of the Lord. And we see the spiritual darkness that this leads to in Israel as Eli is deaf to the voice of the Lord. But we see young Samuel at a very young age dedicated to the Lord, 
His mother dedicates him. She makes him a Nazarite, and she de dedicates him to the Lord. And we see from a very young age the voice of the Lord calling to him. And unlike Eli, he hears. And he says, here am I, Lord. Here am I. And so we see this contrast. But the Israelites continue to follow Eli even as, even as Samuel is young. And the, and the journey goes forward, skipping ahead to chapter 4. In chapter 4, the arch enemy of Israel is the Philistines. And so they come and they press forward at the place called Ebenezer. And they come and they gather there and, they, and there's this great battle. And 4,000 Israelites are lost. 4,000 men are lost in battle at the attack at Ebenezer. And so what, what happens next is the sons of Eli have this idea. I know. God wasn't with us in this battle. So we're going to just go and we're going to get the Ark of the Covenant and we're going to carry it for us into battle. There's a problem. Is that they don't actually seek God. They just seek the Ark of God to carry it forth into battle. And in this section, it doesn't fully unpack all of it, but they begin to treat God like a vending machine. Go get the Ark. If we just you know, do this thing, go get the Ark, and, and, and that will be the sign of God's blessing. God is on our side. How often do we do this? And we just go and we, we claim God to our side. It's the assumption that, that God is with us. God is with our political position. God is with us in the midst of whatever we're going into. But God wasn't with them. And they head into battle a second time. But this time it's worse than the last. This time 30,000 men die in battle. Not only that, the Ark of the Lord is captured and carried off into the Philistine land. Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, die in battle. And when the, word, and when the messengers go back to Israel and Eli hears what has happened, Eli the prophet falls over in his chair and he dies. So now Phineas and uh, Hophni have died. Eli has died. The Ark of the Covenant has been captured. And Phineas' wife is pregnant. She goes into labor early and she dies. But before she dies, she names her son. It's probably the worst name I have ever heard in all of Scripture. Ichabod. It just rolls off your tongue, right? Ichabod. Who wants to name their son Ichabod? But as we know, in, in Hebrew literature, names are very, very important. What does the name Ichabod mean? The main, name Ichabod means the glory has departed. This is the lowest of the low. They are in the midst of this place of going, God's glory has left us. The ark has been captured. We've lost this battle. 
They're depressed. They're going, what is going on? This is not the world that we had imagined. The glory has departed. That's in chapter 4, verse 21. In chapters 5 and 6, as we begin to move forward towards chapter 7, in 5 and 6, we see what happens with the Ark of the Covenant. It's captured by the Philistines and carried off into the foreign lands. And it's placed before the kind of the chief god of the Philistines, Dagon. And it's placed before him in Dagon's temple as kind of like a good luck charm, which is kind of how Israel carried it into battle as a good luck charm. But the first time they place it before Dagon, they leave, and the next morning they fall, they see Dagon fallen over before the ark. So they set him back up and they go, that's strange. That's a coincidence. Rarely in Scripture are things a coincidence. So they leave the next day. They wake up and they go back and they see that Dagon has again fallen before the ark of the Lord. But this time, Dagon decapitates himself. And his hands fall off. He's broken. It's symbolic of the loss of Dagon's power. He is not God. Yahweh is God. And we do not treat the presence of God as some sort of good luck charm. There is power in the name of the Lord. There is power in Yahweh's name. There is power in Yahweh's presence. And quickly, the Philistines realize what Israel had forgotten. And so they go, we don't want this, this ark in, in Dagon's presence. So they take it to another city. And, and everywhere they take the presence of the Lord... Disease breaks out. Cancers break out. And so they move it not once, not twice, but three times. And each time, it continues to follow them of plagues and outbreak. And the irony again, coincidence in Scripture, the irony is the Philistines see God's power, but Israel didn't. And so... The Philistines realize we've got to get rid of this powerful presence who is oppressing us. And so they miraculously, and it's kind of this unique way, they put it on the back of uh, a cart with some um, cows. And these cows violate the laws of nature. Literally violate the laws of nature. And they carry it back to Israel. You can read the whole story there, but multiple different ways. They go uphill rather than downhill. They leave their new calves behind and they take it back to Israel. And there's a lot going on in this passage. Um, Walter Brueggemann, one of the scholars of this passage, says, as you look at this story, you often have to look at the, the descent and the ascent. And in the beginning of the passage, we see the descent, the loss of battle, the loss in the battle, the loss of the prophets, the Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed, the ark is lost, and that is the descent. But God begins His redemptive work in the lowest of places. And the ascent begins. 
And the ark begins to be carried back. Not because of anything Israel had done, but because God was working on behalf of His people. And the ascent begins. And the the calves carry it back up the hill. So the ark was gone for seven months. In chapters 5 and 6. But the beginning of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 7, this is where we're picking up this morning. In chapter 7, it was a long time, 20 years in awe, that the ark had remained in Kiriath Jerim. So for, for, six, for seven months, it had been gone in the Philistine territory. But even when it came back, for 20 years, it sat just kind of in some guy's house. See, even when it came back, the Israelites didn't even fully acknowledge the presence of the Lord in their presence. Irony again of the Philistines saw the power of the presence of the Lord, but the Israelites didn't. So after 20 years, they begin, they, Samuel leads them in a revival. And for the first time, he begins to call forth and say, we need to destroy our idols. We need to destroy those things that are holding us back. And he calls them into repentance. He calls them into a new place. He calls them to return to the Lord. And so they destroy their idols. They put them away. And then notice, one of the things that they do. So Israel put away their bales and their Asherah poles and served the Lord only. And then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede to the Lord for them. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day, they fasted and confessed. One of the things that they did was they poured out water before the Lord. Now, this is significant because you have to understand who Dagon was. The Philistines' um, chief god, Dagon, was the god of rain and the god of harvest. And so this is symbolic again. Is they poured water out before the Lord. Of, it's a symbolic way of saying, you are God. Dagon is not. We will put away our idols and follow you. Put away all other gods. The Israelites were notorious in this time for just kind of having multiple gods and kind of similar to witchcraft or similar to good luck charms. They would use the ones that they needed at that moment. But God was saying, no, I am Yahweh. I am the God and there is no other. And so they do, Israel, Samuel calls Israel to put away their other gods and to pour out drink offerings and to confess and to return to Him wholeheartedly. And as they begin to return to the Lord, God's blessing and God's presence returns to them and they return to Him. But that's not the end of the story. In verse 20, the Philistines begin to see and begin to rally their armies because they don't want to see Israel rise up. And so they return to fight Israel. And so there are wars and rumors of wars. And the 
Israelites are afraid. But this time God is with them. And he goes forth into battle. And he leads them into victory. And one of the ways that God leads them to victory in verse 20. In verse 20 it says, sorry, not verse 20. Um, in verse 10. When Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offerings, the Philistines drew near and engaged Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered again. Dagon, the god of rain. The Lord thundered and with loud thunder against the Philistines, drew them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The Philistines clearly would have known that sound of thunder and would have feared that their God wasn't with them in that place. And God led the Israelites into victory. And so when we come to this place in verse 12, then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shem and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Thus far. How far? Thus far. Ebenezer literally means the stone of help. God's help was with them. But Ebenezer is symbolic in many, many ways. Because only three times in all of Scripture is the word Ebenezer mentioned. This one right here where it literally means stone of help. And the two times before are the places of the battle where they lost the Ark of the Covenant. Ebenezer. Thus far, he's reaching back and he's saying, even back in that moment, I saw you. Even in your defeat, I saw you. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. But the word stone of help is comprised, it's actually a compound word in Hebrew and it means two different things. The, word, the first one is stone and that's a kind of a generic word in Scripture. But the word help, is a significant word. It's used in Genesis when God creates Eve and He says, I'm looking for a helpmate for you. But it's a word of help is more than just a word of help. It's a word of intimacy. It's used in Psalms numerous times where God is our rock. He is our help. And it's a word of intimacy. And God is saying, I am helping you intimately in your times of brokenness, of thus far, I have been with you and I am helping you. This is what Ebenezer means. God is intimately with us. And I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know the baggage and the things that you are coming with this morning. But this passage calls to us in numerous ways as a reminder, as a place of saying, thus far the Lord has been with us. We may not see it. We may not feel it this morning. I don't know what that you've been walking through this week. It's been a hard week for me in a, in a variety of different ways. Ebenezer, thus far the Lord is with us. Yahweh is with us. Jesus is with us in the midst of so much that is going on. A friend of mine posted this on his Facebook this week. 
He said, Jesus cannot be made to play a supporting role. He cannot be treated as a trinket that we just take into battle and say, God's on my side. He doesn't, God doesn't play supporting roles. God can't be just put before other idols. They fall down before him. God does not play a supporting role. He goes on to say this in his quote. Jesus cannot be made to play a supporting role in some other kingdom, government, nation, or empire. He has his own kingdom. And that's that. That was an encouraging word to me. Um, I'm not sure what all he meant when he posted that, but it hit me in a powerful way this morning as I began to reflect and began to think through what God is calling each one of us to. True and authentic worship and thanks flow from a place of knowing who God is and bearing witness to what He has done in our life. That's what Ebenezer means. It's a place of worship. It's a place of setting up a stone of remembrance, of saying, thus far God has helped us. He has redeemed us even when we weren't faithful to Him. Remember, the Ark of the, Ark of the Covenant was returned, not by anything Israel had done, but by God's beginning and working and restoring presence. It's bearing witness to what He has done. I want us to think through a couple of questions this morning. Where have you treated God like a good luck charm in your life? All of us are guilty of this in some way, shape, or form of, of going to God just when we need Him. I'm in a, I'm in a hard place and so I'm going to try and get God on my side. I've made a mistake. God, come and redeem us. And God is a redeeming and a loving God, but He cannot be treated as a good luck charm. Where, in my political opinion, have I tried to get God on my side? Or where have I, in an argument with a friend or a spouse or whoever, have I tried to get God on my side? Or where... In the midst of financial struggle, have I just said, God, will you please just bail me out this one time? Where have we treated God like a good luck charm rather than the God who is always present, always for us, and always loving, but the God who is above all, through all, and in all? Question number two. Where do you feel like maybe you have lost the, the ark of God's presence, that intimacy. Where are those places in our lives where we've maybe drifted away or we've lost something? But I also want us to remember that in the Hebrew Scriptures, they're far more communal than we are in our individualistic society today. And so when it talks about the ark of God's presence, it's not just something about us intimately. It's also something for us corporately, communally. Where has your community been fractured or divided? Where have you lost a sense of God's intimacy and shalom? Shalom is that Hebrew word meaning at peace with God, self, others, and creation. I love the words that are uh, written above your doors here. That place of peace 
That word is shalom. Where have we lost that? Where have we allowed our dialogue on Facebook to divide us? Where have we lost the ark of God's presence in our lives? Where we are working towards restoring shalom in our world. And the third question I want us to think about is where do you need a reminder in Ebenezer of God's faithfulness in your life? How can your community build an Ebenezer in order to experience God's shalom? I don't know, maybe you need to take something physical this morning and erect it when you get home in your house and you need to say, we need to set something up as a reminder that Ebenezer, thus far the Lord has helped us. Thus far. Maybe at church you need to gather together after it's over and think through how do we set up places where we set up symbols that remind us that thus far God is with us in the midst of whatever we've just been through. Samuel is saying, thus far. How far has God helped us? Thus far. Ebenezer is the name of the town where Israel lost the battle thus far. Israel, or Ebenezer is the name where they lost the ark, the presence, thus far. Where we have taken God for granted, thus far. Where we have claimed God to our side, thus far. Where we have treated God like good luck charms, thus far where we have been broken or said hurtful things in the last couple of weeks, thus far. So often we think of God's grace as only this far, but God is saying it's thus far. It's greater than we can imagine. Thus far, all the way back to the place of brokenness. Thus far, God is with us and He's drawing us in and to Himself. One of the great hymns is the, is the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And I love this hymn for multiple reasons. But it says this in verse 2, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, both in my own personal life, but also in Israel's life. This is the ongoing story of God's redemption and history, of God seeking us out when we were a stranger, when we had treated him negatively. God went into history and brought us back, wandering from the fold of God. He, God, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. We are so prone to wander in our lives But thus far, God has gone and redeemed us and brought us back. He keeps longing for us, bringing us back into the fold. Like the little girl that I talked about at the beginning, we are all prone to wonder, to fight for what we don't really want, rather than to take what God wants to give us. Or maybe something that we only want in that moment and we think that we want. But God is saying, thus far. On the hike back 
They left before us, but on the hike back, we caught up with that family. And there was the little girl with her shoes soaking wet. But this time she was happy because her father had lifted her into his arms and he was carrying her. How far? Thus far. Thus far. As I close this morning, I want us to remember that regardless of what you have been walking through, the brokenness that each one of us have facing, the brokenness we as a community may be facing in our political divide, in our fractured families, fractured friendships, God is reminding us that Ebenezer, thus far I have been with you. And despite your, our disobedience, despite our willingness to kind of pull away and want our own thing and to go and to stand in the water, God is saying, thus far I have loved you with an everlasting love. I'm going to wrap my arms around you, pick you up, and carry you. That is what Ebenezer is about. May we be remembered as we head into the Thanksgiving holiday season that God has been with us, even when we don't see it. And our job is to remember His faithfulness time and time and time again, to walk forward into all that He has for us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You so much for the story of Samuel and his willingness to lead the people back into a place of repentance, back into a place of remembrance and setting up that stone and saying, thus far, you have helped us. You have redeemed us. You have called us by your name. God, I pray that you would continue to walk with each one of us this week. Would you remind us as we walk into this today, into this, or this week, into this Thanksgiving season, that you have been with us even when we have wandered astray or when we haven't been faithful, that you have been faithful and you will be faithful to us. God, come and meet us this morning. Come and meet our community this morning. Help us to remember you, your character, and your heart for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.